would you please turn with me to your study outline there in your program. And uh, as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online, as well as our friends at the Baptist Community Church in Arco, Idaho, and also our friends at Purpose Church, Kalispell, Montana. We are so glad uh, that you're joining us for this study of God's Word. Now, the past couple of months, our culture has been talking about Jesus more than any I remember, okay? It's, it was like two months ago in October, it felt like Christmas where the culture's talking about Jesus. Well, it came, Christmas came early this year. Uh, they, they, our culture has been talking about, uh, talking about Jesus because of an album uh, dropped by Kanye West uh, back in October called Jesus is King. And one of the songs on the album is called uh, God, God Is. And I just want to um, read you the words just, just to this one um, song that's off of this uh, album. God is my light in darkness. God is my all in all, and I'll never turn back. Everything that hath breath, praise the Lord. Worship Christ with the best of your portions. I know I won't forget all that he's done. He's the strength in this race that I run. Every time I look up, I see God's faithfulness, and it shows just how much he is miraculous. I can't keep it to myself. I can't sit here and be still. Everybody, I will tell till the whole world is healed. King of kings, Lord of lords, all the things he has in store, from the rich to the poor, all are welcome through the door. You won't ever be the same when you call on Jesus' name. Listen to the words I'm saying. Jesus saved me, now I'm sane. And I know, I know God is the force that picked me up. I know Christ is the fountain that filled my cup. I know God is alive. He has opened up my vision, giving me a revelation. This ain't about a dead religion. Jesus brought a revolution. All the captives are forgiven. Time to break down all the prisons. Every man, every woman, there is freedom from addiction. Jesus, you have my soul. Sunday service on a roll. All my idols, let them go. All the demons, let them know. This a mission, not a show. This is my eternal soul. This my kids, this the crib. This my wife, this my life. This my God-given right. Thank you, Jesus. Won the fight. That's what God is. That's what God is. That's what God is. And amen. And the whole, and the whole album is like that. And there's not a single bad word in, in the entire album, un, un, unlike other ones that have, uh, have, have come out from him. And, and, and it's just really like a Paul on the road to Damascus kind of thing. In the same way that shook up the Jerusalem Jewish culture, well, it's kind of shaken up American culture as well. And so today we're going to start, uh, the name of his album was Jesus is King, but we're going to start a three-part Christmas series called King of Kings. Uh, John had a, got a glimpse of Jesus when he had a vision of heaven. And he said, on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So let me give you an overview of this three-part series. We're going to start at the end and, and move uh, to, to, to today. Uh, first of all, on Christmas Eve, we're going to have part three of this series. And the title is going to be, Who is Your King? And that's a great opportunity to bring family and friends as we're going to ask the question, who is your king? 
And you parents particularly are going to want to look in the program, and you'll see the details. There are two different services, the three services on Christmas Eve and then the three regular Sunday morning services next Sunday. We call it Christmas Sunday, 8-39-45-11-11, as usual. And uh, at Christmas Eve, we try to keep it, like Christian said, to just about a little over an hour. Um, we, we try to make it kid-friendly. There's like lots of music. There's a special story time for the kids. The kids get packets uh, when they come in for activity packets. And it's just a great, great service. The candle lighting at the end, that really is just a, a wonderful thing to come to and to invite your friends to as well. And we have child care provided through age five. Um, and all the other kids, we believe six and above, can really enjoy the service. And don't complain about that. My daughter's church up in Seattle, the child care is zero to age three. And she's figuring out how to have my four-year-old grandson in that service. So we have child care through age five. And then we believe that kids six and above will enjoy that service where we talk about who is your king. And then next Sunday... On Christmas Sunday, normal schedule, 8.30, uh, 9.45, 11.11, I'm going to speak on a different kind of king, a different kind of king. And again, we're going to have the kids in with us, child care provided through age five. We're going to keep it to about an hour. Um, there's going to be a special activity bags for the kids. There's going to be a special time in it, story time with the kids. And then my sermon uh, I'm telling you, your kids are going to love my sermon as well because there's a fun element to it that you got to come to see. And so your kids are going to enjoy it and the adults are going to enjoy it. So Christmas Eve, who is your king? Christmas Sunday, next Sunday, a different kind of, of king. And then today we're going to call this message, That's My King. That's my king because Jesus was a totally different kind of king than had ever come into the world before, at least the first time. He came. Now, second time is maybe going to be a bit of a different story. But the first time he came for the first Christmas, uh, Jesus was a totally different kind of king. So we're going to look at five different areas, and, and this, is, this is not an exhaustive list. We could do 500, uh, contrasting a typical king, particularly before Jesus in that time, a typical king with the king of kings. Jesus is our king. That's my king. So the first contrast is that he was not a king of war. Uh, it's interesting, but the first time we see kings ever mentioned in the Bible, they're starting a war. Boy, die of not surprise on that one. Because that's what kings do. They start wars with other kings. And so the first time in the Bible we encounter kings, they're starting a war with each other. Genesis 14, verses 1 and 2. At the time when Amraphel was king of Shinar, Ariok king of Elisar, Keter Laomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goyim, these kings went to war against Bera, the son of king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, Shemaber, king of Zebuim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. So you parents looking for original creative new names, look no further. There, you've got them right there. But do you notice what it says? The first time these kings are mentioned, these kings went to war. Because that's what kings do. Kings go to war with other king. But that's not my king. That's not your king. He's not a king of war. He's a king of peace. As a matter of fact, 2,700 years ago, 700 B.C., 700 years before Jesus, Isaiah the prophet prophesied about uh, what uh, kind of king would come that would be different from the others. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, 
mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Would you repeat those three words with me out loud together? Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So not a king of war, but a king of peace. Secondly, he's not going to be a king of wealth. Because most kings, it's all about gathering wealth. Now this is so interesting to me. 3,400 years ago, Moses, in the book of Deuteronomy, the book we went through this summer, Moses warned kings and all leaders to avoid three S's. And I tell you, this could be in a leadership, a business leader's book today. Uh, 3,400 years ago, 1,400 B.C., Moses gives this leadership guide, and yet it could be a book for any of us today, because all of us are leaders in some area. In the family, we have a sphere of influence. All of us are, are, are leaders and, and so this could be in a business leadership book. This could be in any kind of leadership book today. And Moses warned leaders, particularly kings, to avoid three S's, self, sex, and silver. Let me ask you a question. Do you think, how many of you think you're going to pick up the uh, newspaper? Nobody reads the newspaper. You're going to look on your phone sometime this week, and you're going to see an example of some leader falling because of one of those S's, okay? Self, which is ego, sex, or silver. Just as true today for leaders in all areas of life. True for pastors, true for business leaders, true for political leaders. So this is so interesting to me. So many great leadership principles in the Bible. Deuteronomy 17, uh, Moses said, when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say... Let's set up a king over us like all the nations around us. This is a prophecy, a prediction, 400 years before it happened. He said this in 1400 B.C. It didn't happen until 1000 B.C. So four centuries before it happens, Moses prophesies that it's going to happen. He says, you're going to want a king so you can be like all the other nations around you. Everybody else has a king. We want a king. Be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire great number of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them, for the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. Now, look at that phrase, must not acquire a great number of horses for himself. You say, Glenn, why do you call that self, okay? Well, because back then, that's how you showed you had power. You know, we have horsepower in our cars today. They had horsepower back then. The more horses you had, the more power you had. And so you'd go to a king convention and say, how many horses you got? And then you try to out-horse the other king and out-horsepower the other king and say, oh, you got 300 horses? I got 350 horses, and that's how you, you bragged to each other, because how many horses you had was how much uh, power you had. Horses back then were like tanks are today, and so you'd brag about how many horses you have. So he says to them, don't um, acquire too many horses, because if you do that, you'll begin to depend on your horsepower rather than on God's power. You'll begin to say, I don't have to depend on God anymore after all. 
I'm a 2,000 horse king. So who needs God? I've got a bunch of horses. And so horses were how you judged a person's power. And so the first one was self or ego or power. Don't get too many horses. Now we come to verse 17. He must not take many wives or his hearts will be led astray. Now, can we just have a little sidebar here? And let me do a bunch of disclaimers and then I'm going to share this with you. This thought I'm going to have right now, I'm going to share, is not pulpit ready, okay? This is not ready for prime time. Uh, I haven't researched this. I, I, don't, I can't base this on research. This is more anecdotal, just something I've observed in, in history. And when I read through history, this is just something I've observed. So let's pretend like you and I are out to lunch, and we're just shooting the breeze. And we can say any crazy thing we want to say, okay, because we're just out to lunch. This isn't in a sermon. This is just you and me out to lunch. And we're just kind of brainstorming some ideas because this is going to be a little controversial. It's going to be a little offensive. It's going to sound a little bit snarky. Um, you know, as a matter of fact, maybe I won't, won't do it. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, I'm going to do it. But, but let, me just, let's, let me just share this with you. And you kind of give me feedback and, and look at your st- looking at history and anecdotally what you see there and, and tell me if you agree with this. Okay, with all that disclaimers, here we are at lunch. Here's something I have observed from the study of history. Almost every new religion or cult uh, is often, not always, but often, not always, much of the time, but not always, about one thing. And that one thing the new religion or the new cult is all about is the religious leader or the cult leader or the king getting more sex. That, that's, that's what it tends to be about. Uh, check me on this. I mean, from Solomon, there's an example, to David Koresh, from Joseph Smith, to Jim Jones, from Muhammad, to David Berg and the children of God. You know, the children of God spread the message of Jesus. You know how they reach people for Jesus? By having sex with people, that, you know, promiscuous sex. That's the way that they spread the gospel. Well, if you've got to invent a religion, I guess that's one way you could. Okay, never mind. I'm not going to go any further on that. We're off from lunch now, okay? We're, we're back to pulpit time right now. But my observation has been that much of the time when somebody starts a new religion or starts a new cult, that's what it's about, Then, in contrast to that, you have this movement, what Kanye West called a revolution, that started by two single men who are sexually moral, who are celibate, who are abstinent. And it's like, didn't see that coming. That's totally different. That's that's a different kind of king. Obviously, you have Jesus, uh, who uh, was single, uh, he was uh, sexually moral. Uh, he treated women with great dignity and respect. He was a single celibate guy. And that's who founded this movement that we're following, following in the footsteps of Jesus. And then Paul is the main person that spread the message of Jesus. And Paul, again, was a single man and, and, and who was celibate and who was sexually moral. And he preached sexual morality in the middle of the sexual immorality of the Roman Empire. And as soon as they saw the start of this new movement, they immediately recognized that this was a different kind of king. This was a different kind of movement. Something different 
was going on. That's not my king. So self and sex and now silver. He says he must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. And so he said, if you, if you want a king that'll lead you in a way that's for the benefit of the people and not for his own benefit, he will be one that watches out in those three areas and saves his energy for serving the people rather than serving those three things. Now, in contrast to a king of wealth, he was a king, our king, who can identify with the poor. And isn't that good news? Anybody want to say amen to that? Luke 9, 57, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man, that's Jesus, has no place to lay his head. Have you ever been homeless? Jesus can identify with you. Have you ever gone bankrupt? Jesus can identify with you. Have you ever gone through a time of financial stress and, and not having all that you need, Jesus can identify with you because he was not a king of wealth, which was typical. He was a king who could identify with the poor. That's my king. Then the next comparison. He was not a king of vengeance. A Herod, the king at the birth of Jesus, was a, a king of paranoia, revenge, and vengeance. Uh, he had 10 wives. Back to my earlier theory one of whom he had executed. The Roman emperor Caesar Augustus once said, it was better to be Herod's pig than to be Herod's son. And he said that because as a Jew, Herod couldn't or wouldn't kill a pig, but he had three of his sons killed because he was paranoid that they were trying to take his throne from him. So it's no surprise when we read in the Christmas story, Matthew 16, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. But that's not my king. That's not your king. Our king is not a king of vengeance. Our king is a king of forgiveness. At his death, being executed by people making fun of him, torturing him, uh, he looks out on them and chooses forgiveness over vengeance. And even as he was being crucified, he had the power of revenge. He could have called 10,000 angels to bring justice to that situation. He could have called 10,000 angels to get revenge and vengeance on his enemies. Two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, now if that were Glenn hanging on the cross, and I had that power, I'd say, sick them, boys, okay? And out of heaven would have called the angels and ripped them to shreds. That's what I would have done. But that's not our king, is it? Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Not a king of vengeance. That's not my king. He's a king of forgiveness. And Jesus commanded his followers to do the same thing. Not a king of vengeance, but a king of forgiveness. And then the next comparison, not a king who demanded to be served. See, a typical thing is if you're a king, you demand to be served. Now, 400 years after Moses gave that prophecy, now we're in 1 Samuel chapter 8, 
and 1000 BC, 400 years after 1400 BC, and we're going to see this prophecy being fulfilled. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. See, everybody's got to serve somebody. Everybody's got to have a king. It can either be self, it can be sex, it can be silver, it can be any variety of things. But if you don't serve Jesus, you got to serve something. And yet he says here, they have rejected me as their king. And so many people, just to be like all the other nations around them, like all the other people around them, they choose an addiction, they choose an idol, they choose something to worship just so they can be like all the other nations around them. And he says, God says, they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Let them have a king, but warn them what it's going to be like. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he'll assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take, he will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants, your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys. He will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves, when that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. And the Israelites said, that sounds great. I choose door number one. That, that, that's awesome, because then we'll be like all the other nations around us. Now, when we choose any other king but Jesus, we, we become enslaved to that thing. But here's the good news, is that our king Will, will never say to us, like the problem was for the Israelites, oh, you want out of that deal? Nope, too late. Today, you can choose to follow that king, my king, your king. You can make my king your king. Today, you can choose to leave the other kings that you've been worshiping or I've been worshiping and worship the king of kings, Jesus, who is king. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. 
the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. But we don't have that kind of a king. Not a king who demanded to be served, but we have a king who serves. That's not my king. This is my king. Mark 10, 45, Jesus said, for even the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Of the night before Jesus was crucified, the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. You know what would happen if Glenn had all power? He would say, you, do that. You, serve me. Any other king, would, if, if they were given all power, would say, I want to be served. But this is the most counterintuitive thing you can imagine. He understood that God had given him all power, so what did our king do? He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. What? What? But that's my king. That's your king. It can be your king. Drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And then final comparison. Not a king who says, be afraid of me. You see, kings usually reign by fear. Fear is the tool that kings use to, fear is the tool that tyrants use to keep their people subjected to them. Uh, there was a king named Nebuchadnezzar, and he built a statue of himself, and he commanded everybody to bow down and worship the statue of himself. And there were three young men that refused to do it. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up. Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Nebuchadnezzar tries to bully them, because that's what kings do. Tries to threaten them, that's what kings do. Intimidate them, that's what kings do. do. But not my king. Not your king. Not the king who can be your king. Not King Jesus, the king of kings. He's not a king who says, be afraid of me. He's a king who says, don't be afraid. Uh, Matthew 14, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake, When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. I don't know what you're going through this morning, but I believe God invited you here, whatever it is you're going through, to hear this next thing that Jesus wants to say to you. If you're watching online or if you're in Kalispell or you're in Arco or or wherever you might be, here's what, what by divine appointment Jesus wants to say to you. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That's what he wants to say to you. He wants to say, 
Take courage in the middle of your storm. It is I. I'm with you in the middle of it. Don't be afraid. Come to me and I will give you rest. That's what my king wants to say to you this morning. He was not a king of war, but he was a king of peace. My king was not a king of wealth, but he was a king who can identify with the poor. Uh, Not a king of vengeance, but a king of forgiveness. That's my king. Not a king who demanded to be served, but a king who serves. That's my king. Not a king who says, be afraid of me, but a king who says, don't be afraid. That's our king. 